So I'm reading from Habakkuk chapter 1, starting from verse 5. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Evening. <laughs> so, Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we are able to be gathered as your children to hear your word, your will, and purpose, not only for your church, but our lives. Lord, open our hearts and minds that we may hear your truth, that your word will transform our lives as you send us out into the communities around us to reveal your glory, your hope, your eternal salvation. Amen. Amen. Well, it is quite warm up here, isn't it? Um, I've been really toying with this idea of, do I make you guys suffer as I'm suffering up here? And I think I will, to be fair. As you get to know me, I'm, I'm not that loving. <laughs> you know, I'm not a people person. But I'm sure we've all heard Simon Says as a game. Yes? So can we all please stand? I'm not going to do anything energetic because I haven't got it in me. Um, <laughs> this morning our children's song consisted of us just singing and doing slight actions because we just didn't have. So the rule of the game, one rule, Simon says whatever he says you do. If he doesn't say it, you don't do it. Clear? Yes. Excellent. So Simon says tap your head. Simon says touch your nose. Simon says touch your lip. Wiggle your ears. The one person. <laughs> Simon says, wave to the person on your left. Wave to the person on your right. Oh, come on. That was just too easy. Sit down. No, you carry on. I didn't say, I didn't say stop. <laughs> Simon says, clap your hands. Simon says, wipe your forehead. Stop. Do you know what? I think you guys are just way too wonderful and intelligent. So if you would like to take a seat. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? How easy it is to forget one simple rule 
But how easy is it for the rest of you that if I just give a little bit of flattery, aren't you amazing, clever people, and I'm not going to get you out, sit down, how you forget about that first rule, Simon says, and you all sat down. Uh, but so we are come to the time just like Habakkuk, uh, yeah, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, um, that what you heard last week is that he is looking around the nation of Judah, God's people, and he is concerned that there is no one following God's law, that everyone is breaking it. Habakkuk 1 verse 4, therefore the law is paralyzed he says. And because of sin, because of them breaking God's law, it has this outward ripple and it continues that, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The law that Habakkuk is talking about is the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses. The first three of those laws deal with our relationship with God of how we are supposed to put him first in our lives, how we are to know his will, his purpose, to understand his love for us. And then once we grasp that, we then bring it to those around us in the community as the other look at how we relate to one another. Or as Jesus is so eloquently putting it in Matthew 22:37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. The first, this is the first and the greatest commandment. Do you know, I wonder how many times we've started reading this and we kind of forget that middle page, that this is the first and the greatest commandment to love your God. This isn't just kind of like a thing, but this is where everything is bound and based upon is actually this of you loving God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. You can't do anything without having that bedrock, that foundation in place first. Because then he can, continues to say, and the second is like it. It's not as important, it's not as great, it's not as important. It's like it to love your neighbour as yourself. And all the law of the prophets hang on these two commands. So to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul and all our strength. Well, what does it look like? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 15 to 16, he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. See, unfortunately, we get this so mixed up that we often highlight that second part of the commandment first, to love one another. We're so great with social justice and to love and to support and to be seen doing amazing things. Why, actually, we are not loving God. We are not trying to understand who he is, his purpose for us, his purpose for creation, and his purpose for his church. And because we do not follow that commandment, sin enters in. His creation is corrupted, and we miss out on all the blessings that he truly has. Because John continues in 1417 that the advocate that he gives us is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. It's just interesting, isn't it, that, that if we are not loving God, if we are not putting him beyond everything, if we are not obeying his commands, 
that actually we miss out on the spirit of truth that reveals to us his truth, his purpose, his ways. But when we do, when he is on our hearts, we are told that we will know him because he lives with you and will be in you. And as a result of this disobedience and going our own way, we live in a world that is full of sin, a world that is not living in that one spirit of truth, but we live in a world where individual truth trumps, where self-idolization and worship is surrounding us. And this is exactly what Habakkuk looked around and he saw. He saw a nation who failed the first commandments and the outward working, as we discover, of sin was violence. That there was wars, neighbours fighting husbands and wives against each other, everyone living, as Rico Tai says, my life, my rules. There were even other influences coming out where children's sacrifices were once again happening. And as we look around our world today, we can see the same. We see the same mocking. We see the same violence. We see that God's creation is completely being distorted. The idea of what it means to be a man or a female. The fact that we have highly intelligent people that say men can give birth. Making a mockery of what it means to be a woman and a mother. We see around us that wars are raging everywhere. Society is destroying the family unit within. No longer does it uphold to the biblical ideas of what a family is. And we're seeing an increase, such as abortion clinics and the growth of the rapid rate of new laws, meaning that people in the third trimester can now actually terminate if sacrificing your child means that you can keep your lifestyle. What I've discovered through this is that I watch way too much TikTok and social media um, because I have watched so many videos of one woman has successfully sued her parents because she did not consent to being born. Her parents did not speak to her before she was even thought about in the ether and she did not want to take responsibility of getting a job and looking after herself because she didn't sign up for that and no one asked her to and she was successful. And I've been told, and I've watched another one where we've been told now that if a mother does not give consent to her baby touching her, that can be classed as assault. As a result of sin entering the world, we have come to that time where Isaiah has warned us, 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So I feel very much like Habakkuk at the moment, that I am standing around, looking around, watching my phone way too much and rather spending time in scriptures. And I'm asking the same questions. How much longer, Lord? I am so tired. Please come soon. Restore your creation. But yet the reading today, God's response to that question and the question that Habakkuk was asking about, why are you letting all this happen? Where is your justice? How long must we suffer? Both has given me hope and also a kick up the backside as God kind of challenged me on a few things in my life. 
such as get that plank out of your eye before you start complaining and criticizing. So let's look at the text as we kind of delve into this. In God's response, he seized upon every word that Habakkuk prayed. His complaint was that all day he had witnessed evil around him. God himself saw it and seemed unconcerned. It's interesting, isn't it, that when we do find ourselves in times of suffering, times of hardship, we can feel so overwhelmed and consumed by our own needs, our own suffering, that we cannot see the wood for the trees. So what God does first in Habakkuk 1.5, he says, look, look at the nations and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. He makes Habakkuk stop. He makes him look further afield out to the nations and the world around him. To see where God is working through the time of suffering. And what God is promising is that he is doing something that is going to amaze and almost be unbelievable, yet would accomplish this in his lifetime. When God says to you, I'm going to do something amazing, this is your suffering, you're not going to believe this, guys, you're not going to believe this. It's like, you know, when my son tells me, oh, I've done this amazing thing in Minecraft, come, quick, come upstairs, come upstairs, and it's really exciting, and I go up and I look, and it's like, yeah, well done, that's great, and I'm not really that amazed. But, you know, if God says it, you're kind of thinking, this has got to be good. What is he going to do? Is he literally going to pluck these people that are causing all this sin and suffering and kind of throw them away? Is this big, giant finger going to come down and squish? Well, what is he doing? Well, he says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. So, what, what, Lord? You're going to cause more suffering. You're going to cause another army to come. Please, can you not just squash them? Squash them. I don't want to suffer anymore. Squash them. But he says that I am raising up Babylonians. And what was amazing about this? Well, for some of you that were here last week, you would have heard that there have been many different tribes of Babylonians. All were a law unto themselves, but they were all kind of mutual enemies. And by the time of the Neo-Assyrian era, era, the term Chaldea was often used to those tribes that used to live in the south. And it's these that God rose up. And it's interesting here that God uses, because this is one of the smallest tribes, that God uses the smallest, perhaps the weakest. It was even the fact that the Chaldeans weren't even seen as a threat, not even on Judah's radar. But yet God was going to use these people and rise, raise them up. It's a wonderful way to show again his power, his glory, his purpose. So there can be no other explanation but God predestining and orchestrating all these things to happen so that he could even use his enemies to fulfill his purposes and his plans. And this is why it's both amazing and unbelievable, because only God can do this. But then to help Habakkuk to understand that it is these people that he is sending, he describes them fully. 
And I often quite like to kind of link things that happen in the Bible in today. So as we kind of look at the description of these wonderful, loving people, I wonder if we can kind of think about different organizations around us today, or maybe in the world, that some of these descriptions kind of match. And it might not be so surprising that things are kind of happening. So to start off, again, reminding us that these were a small group that were not necessarily seen as a threat to start off with. But then we begin with Habakkuk, verse, um, verse 7. It says that they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. The cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. So this army that God was raising up, these people were skilled military planners. That they could cover fast distance, fast, with their, fast, with their thirst to con- for conquest. They were skilled in combat, and at the same time, they were taking many captives. No one could stand against them, not even the most fortified cities. So no wonder why they would mock and scoff at other leaders and kings. Babylon armies had the reputation of being the finest and fiercest in the world, being able to move swiftly across the vast stretches of land to strike their enemy. Babylon was an arrogant bully who mocked not only their foes, but other gods. They did whatever they wanted. They knew no other law, whether human or divine, than themselves, their might, and their truth. Then in the last verse, we kind of see a sense of redemption that once punishment has been dealt, Habakkuk 1.11 says that then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their own God. You see, these army, the Chaldeans, they were also guilty of idol worship and therefore they would too also be punished. That they worshipped themselves, their own might, their own pride. They made themselves gods. And because of this, they would not have the opportunity to stay in Judah and do what they normally do, which would be taking over the land and destroying everything. But they moved across it. Once the punishment was dealt, they would continue to move. So what encouragement can we receive today? I don't know, you tell me. Well, there's quite a few things. One... God is at work all the time. Even at times when we are struggling, when there's hardships, that he is working to fulfill his plans. 
But quite often, we need to often pause. We need to stop and we need to look outside of our zones in the most unlikely places and people to see where God is working. We need to remember that God is a righteous judge and he does care about sin and he will punish those who commit sin, even if it is a sin of those who call themselves Christians. Which is great for me because it means I don't have to look around and start judging and condemning you because God is the judge, which leaves me free to love. I'm a loving person. But I can trust that there will be a day, a day that has been set aside when everybody will be judged and dealt with according to their acts. But thankfully, God is not only a God of judgment, but he is also a God of mercy and grace. And he has a plan to deal with sin itself and the consequences of sin. Thankfully, he's not rising up another army to punish us. But Christ himself was willing to come down and take upon him the wrath of God, the wages of sin. That through Christ, all who come to him and trust him will be saved. And that one day, the whole of creation will be restored. We can understand from this passage that God is sovereign, that he is active in the affairs of his creation, that he is sovereign governor of this world and of its destiny. And those who deny God's will actually deny God, his rightful place in their lives, preferring to play God themselves. See, if they believe that God is as he, as he has revealed himself to be the sovereign creator, controller, and perfecter of the universe, then surely as believers, we should be able to trust in God, fully committed to him, and let God be truly God in all activities. As Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But from our passage, we also know that God hears and answers our prayers. Not always as we would hope for, because I'm sure Habakkuk was not expecting the answer to his prayer being more suffering. And you'll hear um, next week probably um, more of his pleading of how much longer, why. But what we can do is trust that what God has got planned is best for his glory and for his purposes to be fulfilled. So how was I kind of challenged from this? <clears throat> well, brothers and sisters, as much as I am handsome and strong and uh, charming, I'm also a sinner um, in need of repentance and prayer. And though my prayer, Lord, how much longer, please come now, might seem like a nice faithful prayer, but it was actually a very selfish prayer. I was tired because I am facing so many circumstances of stress at the moment, holding together not only two churches that are divided, but also the wider parish. I can see the enemy kind of working in the background, trying to devour, just like that lion who is prowling around. That I was trying to do everything in my own strength, and I forgot about God making myself the idol as I did not trust God. And surprise, surprise, this sin overwhelmed me. 
And not only with all that, with what's happening with the wider parish. I did not love God first. And because of that, I became strained, exhausted, and also I forgot the heart of the Father and his will for his people. See, my prayer was definitely a selfish one, as I am a tired, stressed-out vicar, husband, father, get me out of here kind of prayer. But God's heart that we read in John 6.40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up to the last day. And 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, though my situations may seem kind of hopeless, dire, the world's mocking the creator and the world is coming to an end, we have been given a gospel which sometimes can feel like the oracle that was given to Habakkuk, which is also translated as burden. And quite often, the good news can feel like a burden and can feel enemy when you are fighting constantly. But what we have, what we can draw on, is the strength and the hope as we hold on to the promises of our God. A God who is alive and is active in all situations. He is in control and he is working everything out. And he will judge and deal with everyone. And on that day of judgment, we who trust the Lord, call upon his name, we will be washed in his righteousness and be made spotless before God. So therefore we have this opportunity to take on this yoke that's light, the, the yoke of Christ. That we get the opportunity that even the world is coming against us, that we can be filled with joy, hope and life. That we can enjoy the relationship and the blessings from God our Father now and for eternity. If we are to trust and obey the Lord for what he has called us to be. And he has called us to be a priesthood of believers. We have been called to scatter the seed of truth, not get to give up on meeting together, even when it's hot, so well done. But we are called to love, to encourage, to protect one another from the wolves, which then kind of challenges the, the next kind of thing that I've been really wrestling with, with the direction of the Church of England, the direction of the parish and what's happening um, and quite often we can get so confused with what's my heart and what is God's heart. Because my heart makes a great argument. It makes quite a good, compelling argument. And it's so easy to go with it because it's the easy way. It's the way that's going to lead to a, a nice, easy path. But if it is God's will that all will come to know him, what will happen if no one preaches truth? Therefore, is it our responsibility to remain in the institution that Christ has set up so that we can preach the truth, that we can reveal the gospel to those around us, that we can protect one another from false teaching? 
you know, it'd be so much more difficult in the future if, if we stayed. But yet, I believe that we are called to love, to serve, to encourage God's own heart. And we know that things go downhill when we first forget about that first commandment. And yet, what's wonderful is that we do make mistakes, we do fail but we have a God who's working through all our circumstances, all our sufferings, all our situations, that he hears our prayers, and that he helps us become even more than conquerors as we remain in him, because the victory has already been won for those that hold on to the promises. So the question I kind of have, and the question that I've been reflecting upon, is have you noticed, are there any areas of your life where God may be taking a passenger seat and not the driving seat. Amen.